You're listening to the International Literature Festival Dublin podcast. International Literature Festival Dublin is a Dublin City Council initiative kindly supported by the Arts Council. For all the latest festival news or to sign up to our newsletter, visit www.ilfdublin.com. Hello and thank you. This is weird. It's like a 1950s sitting room. Isn't this like nice design? Um, so uh, Martin has given a gorgeous uh, potted introduction to Ireland. I'll just briefly say, so was the, mo- the main things we need to know about Ireland is that in 1990, this man sets off to be the first man, along with his partner Borg Ausland, to reach the North Pole unsupported. So he does this 58 days on skis, pulling a sled 800 kilometres. And then about two and a half years later, in 1992, he completes the first unsupported expedition to the South Pole, covering 1,300 kilometres in in 50 days. You see, that's a longer distance in shorter days. And then two years after that, again, in 1994, he summited uh, Mount Everest. So the very first person alive to uh, do the three poles, basically the three extremities of planet Earth, which has given him... A, a unique take on the world, but particularly the w- things he did after that, because he then goes to Cambridge and he studies philosophy for three years. One, be- one year, one year. One year, mm. sorry. In between <laughs> that, he works as a lawyer for Norske Hydro, which is a Norwegian aluminium company, for, for just two years. And then he founds Kaga Forlag, which became, it started out like as a boutique publishing house in, in Oslo, but rose to become one of the leading uh, publishing companies in Norway. And then he acquired a very distinguished publishing house called J.M. Sterenson's Forlag. And now the two of them publish roughly 100 books so uh, a year. And if you've read his books, his connections to people around the world, to the greatest thinkers, to what's happening, is, is really profound. So what we get is a man who has walked, who's gone to the extremes, but also... Uh, both of the mind and um, and of the uh, of of, uh, of sort of of the planet itself. Um, he's also a leading art collector, and he's got a book uh, called uh, "A Poor Collector's Guide to Buying Great Art." Another book, uh, "Philosophy for Polar Explorers: What They Don't Teach You in School." And uh, a book, "Manhattan Underground," about his explorations beneath. The, the city, beneath the city streets of New York. Um, but as Martin said, the thing that really propels um, Arling to sort of international acclaim with the last two books, this, the book that came out two years ago called Silence, and then the book we're going to talk about today. And so Silence has been translated into 30 languages? Now, 37. Right? 37 uh. languages. And it, you see, these are slim books. It's the potency of, of these books that seem to hit home. Would you first welcome, and thank you for coming, but would you give us a potted introduction to, to silence yourself? <coughs> yeah, thank you, Malcolm. Yeah, um, uh, uh, when I was a kid, uh, I felt silence was about uh, being lovely, nothing was happening, it was, it was about boredom, and uh, almost all the negative things. And I remember my mother said to me, uh, it's healthy to be bored, uh, but I didn't understand that. But today, actually, I do understand what she meant. Um, and then, you know, I grew up, and I, as you said, I walked to the uh, South Pole, walked to South Pole alone for 50 days and nights in total silence. And uh, gradually, I started to see the importance of silence, in particular uh, inner silence, but also silence surrounding us. Uh, then I got three kids, three, and eventually I got three teenage daughters, 
and I start to see that they didn't know what silence is. Mm. And kind of my life had been about noise all ever since. Uh, and then, you know, it's, I, 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 I uh, asked myself, you know, what is silence, where is silence, and why is it important, maybe more important today than ever before. And I came up after 18 months, I had come up with 33 answers. Hmm. And that became the book. And as I said, I want to write it really short because I think in general, not all books, but many books are too, you know, too long. And I think it's, uh, if you're going to set, you know, what I think about silence and my experience in silence, it should, you should be able to do it in one evening. <laughs> <laughs> so that is so different from everything else that's at almost the, the International Literature Festival. So why, you know, like, you know, so many of the books are going to be long tomes and they're people who have written and written. What is, what's the difference? Why are you doing this? And what is involved? Is there a lot more thinking? Is there a lot more silence involved in the creation of it? Yeah, um, it certainly is. Um, you know, it's, I, I only wrote uh, this silence because um, I felt it was super important um, uh, thing to write about. And I felt, you know, I didn't feel I could write anything kind of particularly new about silence, but that I could um, still write something original because my experiences kind of combination as you know being a father to three teenage girls and having all these expeditions which is which is very much about silence mm -hmm. and also as an entrepreneur i think you know silence it has was very important for me has been very important for me to somehow you know you get all these impressions and listen to people and you read and you think and eventually you have to turn everything a little bit upside down to come up with your own ideas and that's happening when in silence but i can just little example um i won't read for long um Sound, of course, is not only sound. On a sailing trip in the spring of 1986, pushing towards Cape Horn off the coast of Chile in the South Pacific Ocean, I was reminded of this. Early one morning, while alone on watch between midnight and 4 a.m., I heard a sound that seemed like a long, deep breath just west of the boat. I had no idea what it could be. I turned 90 degrees in the direction of the sound and spotted a whale just off the starboard side, a mere calling distance away. I estimated that the creature was as long as our boat, about 20 meters. Judging from its length, I guessed that it was a fin whale, a cosmopolitan mammal on a lifelong hunt for crabs, krill, and fish. Blue, whalers are, blue whales are about the same size, but as we have managed to nearly exterminate them, I figured the odds of the world's large, largest animal swimming alongside us were rather slim. The sails were well trimmed, the boat was almost steering herself, and there was not much for me to do but watch the whale. Narrow, streamlined, a bit like a torpedo, with a greyish-black spine. The rule of thumb for large whale is that they wait one ton per foot in length. So I guess that the whale's weight was around 60 tons. He or she swam along the boat 
for a few minutes, we traveled the same course, my whale and I. A few more times, I heard that deep sound coming from the blowhole on its back, slowly in and out of the lungs, before the whale eventually vanished into the ocean. The world was not quite the same. I remained standing there, my hands on the wheel, listening and watching for that dark spine with a single fin. But I never saw my whale again. When we came into port three days later, I heard the sound of a vacuum cleaner. That sound and the brief briefing of our whale were on nearly the same frequency. But whereas one reminded, one reminded me of normal essential duties, something that I do as a core to get rid of dust at home, the other sound is unusual, authentic, a primal force. I sometimes still hear that deep, majestic mode of expression. It's a source of enrichment for me even today. Hmm. So this kind of uh, experience I had on the silence, both you know, as, you know, in, in, in daily life in Oslo, but also of traveling, uh, I want to express in my book. Hmm. And there's the idea, so the subtitle is Silence in the Age of Noise, and it's clearly it's those two things coming up against each other. You did a, a TEDx where you got the audience to, to just be silent for a minute, and the potency of it, like, so we can experience it, but to write about it is very hard. To write about an absence, a vacuum, is a powerful thing. It is. It's, uh, it's, uh, uh, I, found it <laughs> I found it super difficult to write about silence. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's also one of the reasons I did it, one of the main reasons, because I believe in making life more difficult than necessary. And, uh, <laughs> and of course, if I had been born in um, southern Sudan, you know, that would not be so important to me. Uh, but being born in Oslo, uh, Norway, uh, of course you have many challenges in life, but somehow you need to make it more difficult than it has to be, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's one re another reason for writing about silence. And then the, this idea of pushing yourself, of making life more difficult, did that lead to walking, or was it a direct path? So if walking has just come out, it's come out now in Ireland in, in 2019, in the, the Norwegian version was last year, it was 2018. So it's walking one step at a time. And it's, again, it's doing like what science is, looking at walking from every sort of different prism, like almost a blue bottle's eyes, like a hundred different, different lenses, all looking at it from why we walk, where we walk, walking as therapy, walking for a purpose, the creativity of walking. But were those two phenomenal journeys of 1990 to the North Pole, 1992 to the South Pole, were they a key element of it? One skiing, one walking. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, um, what was the question here? So uh, the question, I suppose, is how do those tie in? So I suppose, yeah. like, yeah, walking yeah, yeah, has exactly. been a part yeah. of your yeah, life. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, I think it. I think it's. I think. I think it's. Uh, I think uh, the books are both the same. Uh, I just want to write kind of uh, the same theme from a different angle. Uh, in the sense that, to me, walking is very much about inner silence, uh, while silence is somehow in itself uh, is uh, abstract mm -hmm. in many ways. Walking is very concrete. But I think one of the beauties of walking, it doesn't have to be, but one of the beauties it can be is to experience inner silence. And, and I did that 
this morning here in Dublin. I came in this morning and I had a very nice walk around the city. Just uh, mostly, you know, doing people watching actually, looking at people. And, you know, then they have this kind of inner silence, just kind of walk around contemplating. So, so um, yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of similar books mm -hmm. from two different perspectives. And let's say on this, the, 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 the um, South Pole expedition. So there you're walking for 50 days. You have 1,300 kilometers. Are you, can you enjoy the pleasures of walking there, or is it just extreme? Just no, it's, uh, it's uh, uh, I have to say, walk to the, I mean, uh, because the, uh, the Antarctic, the South Pole is a continent circumnavigated by oceans, as an opposite to the Arctic, obviously, which is an ocean circumnavigated by continents. So when you walk to the North Pole, you walk on drifting ice, it's kind of complicated. But when you walk to the South Pole, you walk on kind of fixed uh, uh, land, or just ice resting on land. So it's, it's, and you can walk in the summer. In the North Pole, you need to walk kind of late winter, so it's much colder. So uh, to me, to walk to the South Pole was, um, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's tough going, but it's, uh, it's uh, um, I really enjoyed it, actually. <laughs> and and, and uh, sometimes, of course, you feel a bit desperate. Because, uh, I mean, a big mistake to do on an expedition is to start to think how many days or kilometers you have left. Uh, because the thing is, you need to take one step at a time. Mm. It's just like being in prison if you're sentenced for 10 years. <laughs> and you start to think about, okay, now I have <coughs> nine years and 51 weeks left. You know, you turn insane. So you need to take one step, you know, one day at a time. And same with expeditions, but I remember, like, I had, a, so I had a good time, but I remember after 42 days or something, I started to think about, you know, how many kilometers I had left, and then I was in a bad mood for the rest of the day, and also into the next day. <laughs> so it's, uh, so it's uh, you know, even a mouse can eat an elephant if it takes small portions. <laughs> <laughs> and you write nicely about where your daughters, or even where you as a child would say, would ask your, your, your parents in the same way, how, how long more? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's. I think the most common question I asked as a kid to my parents was, "How far is it left?" And 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 then I got children myself, and then my daughters start to ask me, "Why do we have to walk when it's faster to drive?" And of course, you know, later they would ask, "How far is it left?" And, and, but the first question is, you know, how, why, why walk when it's faster to drive? It's a very good question. <laughs> and uh, I think it's very difficult to answer. Um, and that's one reason I want to write about walking, was because I, I really want to uh, try to explain, um, you know, why in our society today, it's even more important to have, you know, be aware of the importance of slowness. Not only slowness, because I mean, in many ways we have to, you know, we have to be quick. But 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 the whole society, the education system, the government, businesses, everything is based upon speed. So the government really would like you to get out to your bed, get to work, work hard, get back, relax, sit on your arse, uh, have dinner, watch the news, go to bed, up next day because that's the best for gross national product. Mm -hmm. 
and of course for businesses too, it's, you know, you should consume as much as possible, and education system too is true like this. So it's, it's, um, so it's, but walking is kind of the opposite of all this. And um, I can just read very briefly about, you know, just one of the benefits um, of kind of moving slowly. Everything moves more slowly when I walk. The world seems softer, and for a short while, I'm not doing household course, having meetings, or reading manuscripts. A free man possesses time. The opinions, expectations, and moods of family, colleagues, and friends all become unimportant for a few minutes or a few hours. Walking, I become the center of my own life, while completely forgetting myself shortly afterwards. It is a truth universally acknowledged that one saves time traveling only two hours from one point to another instead of spending eight hours on the same journey. While this holds up mathematically, my experience is the opposite. Time passes more quickly when I increase the speed of travel. My speed and time accelerate in parallel. parallel. It is as if the duration of a single hour becomes less than a clock hour. When I, when I am in a rush, I hardly pay attention to anything at all. When you're driving a car towards a mountain, with small pools, slopes, rocks, moss and trees zooming past on all sides, life is curtailed. It gets shorter. You don't notice the wind, the smells, the weather, nor the shifting light. Your feet don't get sore. Everything becomes one big blur. And it isn't only time that grows smaller as one's pace increases. Your sense of space does too. Suddenly, you find yourself at the foot of the mountain. Even your sense of distance has been stunted. Having traveled far, you may be tempted to feel like you experience quite a bit. I doubt that's true. If you were to walk, Along the same route, however, spending an entire day instead of half an hour, breathing more easily, listening, feeling the ground beneath your feet, exerting yourself, the day becomes something else entirely. Little by little, the mountain looms up before you and your surroundings seem to grow larger. Becoming acquainted with these surroundings takes time. It's like building a friendship. The mountain up ahead, which slowly changes as you draw closer, feels like an intimate friend by the time you arrive. Your eyes, ears, nose, shoulders, stomach and legs speak to the mountain, and the mountain replies. Time stretches out, independent of minutes and hours. And this is precisely the secret held by all those who go by foot. Life is prolonged when you walk, Walking expands time rather than collapses it. Hmm. What, like, so th what you're expressing there is basically that walking has almost a transformative power. Like your adjective, you're, only, you're pairing back from what you're saying, but you say everything, is cha everything changes. It's almost you're entering a different plane almost. It, it can. Yeah. Because I think you know, quite often I walk to the office from A to B, and nothing great is going to happen. Mm -hmm. But of course, always something is happening. But I mean, it's, 
but nothing great. But I think you know, in in in, in but it's 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 it. Uh, but sometimes in the walk, it's certainly you know, fantastic things are happening. Yeah. And also quite often things that is not easy to put words on. Mm -hmm. But also this is reflected in the English language, where you move, uh, you're being moved, uh, motion and emotion. And you have the same in uh, Norwegian language. And also if you look at uh, going to all languages like Sanskrit, you also see how actually to walk or to move is reflected with both with emotions and also about knowledge. Mm -hmm. That kind of, I think in Sanskrit, that kind of to walk is also the same word as gain knowledge. Mm -hmm. I saw that in your book and I was thinking in Irish it's shul. And shul is also to happen or to turn on or to be processing or to, or to go on. Um, but as you say, you read the effect that bit. I, I feel f I am fully present, fully alive, not dicing with death. I become part of the grass, the stone, the horizon. My head changes. So it's paired back language, but actually, you, yeah, you are talking everything. It can, you can change yourself. You can, your surroundings can change entirely just by walking through them. Absolutely. And I think, you know, it's, I think you can certainly have it almost anywhere. This kind of the same experience here in Ireland. I've been doing hike, some hiking here in Ireland. Um, but of course, when you do it like walk to the South Pole by yourself, um, it gets stronger mm. because I mean I'm very happy to walk with other people. But of course, the impression somehow becomes stronger when you are by yourself and and for a long time. And also, I think it's good that you can kind of get a bit tired, kind of physically tired, because then you're. Threshold for taking in emotions and impressions, etc., kind of you know getting lower. So I think it's good to be tired. Um, and what happened uh, to the South Pole also kind of happened. I think you know if you walk in half and you know see the ocean and you know you know it's it kind of have the same kind of the same. But it's kind of what I experienced the South Pole was uh, uh, after the days and weeks passed by that you get more and more a part of the nature. That in the sense that your body doesn't stop by your skin or by your fingertips, but kind of extended into the, the environment, and and then eventually you start to have a dialogue, kind of send some ideas out, and you get all the thoughts back again. And also when something dangerous is happening, like you have crevasses, and at one occasion, like a couple occasions, especially one occasion, I almost went into a deep crevasse. And um, if that's happened and all the circumstances, I would be scared like hell. But at this time, you know, you kind of relax because it's kind of part of you. Which again is, of course, a beautiful feeling. Mm. And as you know, Ireland was an extremely Catholic country. And only in the last 20 years, there's sort of a change happening in society. So people have this loss, this huge absence that was part. We went straight from being a people who were utterly connected to our landscape through otherworldly beings, spirits, to Christianity. And now we have this gap, and so many people are filling it with the Camino. Like the Camino, in terms of the amount of new travel agents is set up in Ireland by people going on the Camino, that they're finding it there. Um, Camino, what's the that? The Camino de Santiago. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. Um, yeah, I think, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's uh, not a theme I write about kind of directly in my yeah. books, but I think it's, uh, it's uh, indirect, I do, certainly do. And that, of course, it's, you know, uh, it's hard to find meanings in life. I think you know the meaning of life, but you know, you know it's about meanings of life. 
and, uh, and that's difficult. It's always been difficult, but of course today it's, uh, it's, uh, it's even more difficult, I think, because mm -hmm. you have uh, less to believe in and also you have so much more leisure time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So kind of the fight for survival, I think, you know, it's... Uh, 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 in Norway until recently, it was about uh, you know, being able to have a place to live and feed your kids and get them to school. And that's how it was in Dublin too, until recently. So, mm -hmm. yeah. hmm. You have this line about health, walking and health. I believe that walking has played a much more meaningful role in human health than all of the medicines that have been consumed throughout history. That's strong. That's strong, but you know, my editor said, you know, you can't say this, but it's, uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's uh, you know, it's probably true. Mm -hmm. So, uh, and, you know, again, I don't think it's, I think it's, um, um, you know, it's, you can, it's, you can, you can dispute it, but it's kind of hard to dispute, I mm -hmm. think, because also if you, uh, uh, I mean, it's, if you read uh, the reader's columns in the, in the papers, like I do sometimes, you know, the most confident people who write are doctors. And, and, you know, you get the feeling that they're never wrong. But when you read, you know, their history, they have almost been, always been wrong. <laughs> and, and, and then Hippocrates, uh, the father of modern medicine, he said like 2,300 years ago that the most healthy thing you can do and the best medicine in life is to walk. Mm. Uh, and I, I think that's still the case. Um, but he also said something else which is less well known. And he said that, uh, he said that uh, uh, the second most important thing health-wise is to make sure your doctor is not giving you the wrong medicines. <laughs> and I think that's, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's yeah. very good. And he also said that you know, if, if in a bad mood, go for a walk. And if you're still in a bad mood after that walk, you should go for another walk. <laughs> <laughs> and there was the, the case in the 1960s about atrophy. I don't know, has that, does that science still hold up? But that was startling. Well, people who went, 20-year-olds went to, to put them to bed for three weeks or so? Yeah, that's interesting. It's, uh, it was this, uh, I really like to dig into this kind of different uh, scientific research on, on subjects and in, in terms of walking um, or moving in, in Texas, I think it was in the 60s, yes, it's, they put like, I think, I don't, you know, I can't remember, five, six or seven or eight kids around 20 years old in beds, kind of healthy, fit kids. And, and after three weeks in bed, I think they gained the same age, like they should be like 60 years old. And they kind of, you know, how fast, you know, your body just kind of dissolved, or whatever you could say in English, if, if you don't move. So that's, mm. that was interesting. And another thing I came by uh, was, you know, because I was wondering, who's doing the least outdoors in society? And I thought, okay, that would probably be people in prison. But I was wrong because um, in, I think in Ireland too, probably prisoners, in, you know, they will have like one hour uh, being able to be outside uh, every day. Uh, and then, uh, I don't know in Ireland, but in, in UK, it appeared that three out of four kids had less than one hour on outdoors a day. Wow, kids. And I think a third of the kids had no outdoors at all. Hmm. And then the parents would ask, you know, why is this? And, you know, most parents understood, you know, this is not good. Uh, but, you know, 
They didn't do anything about it. Or maybe they tried, but it, you know, the, you know, it didn't happen. And, uh, and I actually heard the other day that this research had been kind of double-checked because it was, you know, so um, contradictory to what people believe. Mm. But I paid to be true. Right, mm. right. And then you you cite studies as well about the link between walking and creativity, which makes the kids' uh, fact even more startling. Like, there's they're now realizing it, that there is a seminal link between walking and the creative mind. Yeah. And that research is just getting stronger and stronger. And that, again, uh, just uh, uh, relevant to what I also just said, that you know, we can also see you get a kind of a class division about people walking and people mm -hmm. not walking. And this you see, of course, in because if you don't move, if you sit still, you, know, you get less creative and it gets even harder at school. And, and it's interesting, uh, at least in Norway, I think a lot in the Western society, it's, uh, it, the privileged people walk much more than less privileged people. Right. But somehow it starts early at age and it just goes way through. So it's, uh, but then I get back to the question with the creativity. Um, the reason why uh, big thinkers from Socrates to Steve Jobs uh, Steve was more an inventor than a thinker, but still, they kept on walking. Uh, also, of course, because it was good for their mind and good for creativity. Like Charles Darwin, he had his own walking path. So, kind of several times a day, he went walking. And, uh, every, and, and Einstein kept walking. You know, they all kept walking, but they didn't have to walk far. They walked for you know like 15 minutes or 30 minutes, and then they could go back to work again. And now at Stanford in 2014, they did this research that just proved what walkers have known for thousands of years, that it's super good for your creativity. Mm. But it doesn't last for long. So you do a walk, and then maybe it lasts for a few hours, so then you need to do another walk. And, uh, and um, yeah, um, but, it's, but that's also interesting with science. Quite often science just kind of, in this case and other cases, it just confirms what people have experienced. Yeah. And that Stanford test found 60% increase uh, of a walk, of just 6 to 15 minutes walking. Yeah. Powerful, isn't it? It's just like, you know, if sometimes people give me a ring and I need to concentrate and I get up from the chair. Yeah, just yeah. by standing up, you know, clears up your head. Mm -hmm. I think. Yeah, so yeah. And I even walk the stairs up to my office. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, also when I got off the plane today, I mean, at the airport out there, there's not many stairs, but a few stairs at least, I could walk and just, you know, clear up my mind off the, off the mm. plane. And, and even in, in my office, sometimes I'm, I'm thinking too much when I get to my office. And when you think, you think about the past or the future, you kind of just thinking. And you know, I think it's a great, you know, great thing with walking is that you, you don't need to think, actually. You can just experience um, but then, busy day, you think, I'm thinking too much, and then when I walk up the seven floors to my office, a few of the floors, I walk backwards. <laughs> and then you really have to concentrate on not falling over. And uh, of course, you have to do it when nobody's watching, but of course, most, most, most people taking the lift don't see you. Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of just interesting because then only for you know, maybe a minute, yeah. suddenly kind of totally focusing something and just oh. forgetting everything else. And you know, it's just emptying your head. Yeah. 
I'm just seeing a staircase there. Like, at the, we're not, we're, I'm not going to do it. It'll be health and safety repercussions. But at the end, some of you should try walking up that. Like, there's a really <laughs> steep staircase. Walking that backwards. Uh, it would make you focus. How much of these thoughts, these grand thoughts, in both walking and silence, do you live? Because like, I'm aware that you are the head of this publishing house, this major publishing house. You're, you're flying a lot to give talks around the world. So is there a dichotomy? Is there one super business, commercial-minded uh, Arling who, who is just focused on these things? Uh, is this a wish list, or are these key elements to you? Uh, certainly a key element. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, <laughs> if, I didn't, if I didn't practice what I'm writing, I'm not sure I would admit to it, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I've, I've certainly, uh, this certainly is... Um, uh, very close to how I'm living, yes. yeah. but I'm living, you know, in Oslo, kind of a stressful life. Like you know, people ask you questions all the time in the office, etc. Um, but it's it's uh, I very much practice, you know, mm -hmm. silence and walking, and also try to get my people to do it. But I don't want to bother too much with their lives as long as they do a good job. Yes. But uh, but uh, the working culture at my company is very strong. <laughs> People walk a lot to the office, etc. And I okay. think it's, it's I think it's um, it's certainly very good. Yeah, mm. but it's in 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 uh, in. But I, um, it's difficult to run a publishing business. Mm -hmm. um, I have a very good person who is is, is the CEO of today. Uh, but I still have to be there a, mm. a lot. Yeah. Mm. But I love publishing because it's. Uh, both has a commercial side, but also has the intellectual side. And if you only think about the commercial side, eventually you will go bankrupt. And if you only think about the intellectual side, you will also go equally bankrupt. Mm -hmm. So it's. Uh, so I think in the, I'd, I'd just like to have both things in my head yeah. at the office. So I think it's a great job. But it makes you fresh and alternative, because normally one hears from one side or the other. You know, you hear commercial people talking about business, and then you hear people who live in ashrams talking about incorporating these ideas. Talk to me about walking. Talk to me about walking and therapy. So again, yeah. Personally, have you found that? Or studies is that a big thing? Yeah. Um, well, I you, think you know you've that gorgeous I, idea. I was telling mm. the amount of people I've told this week about the Inuits and walking. Mm. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that, that's right. uh, yeah, that's that's lit. just another anecdote in my book. I was in. Iqaluit in uh, Northwest Territories in Canada in, uh, in 1990 for preparing for walking to the North Pole. And then um, uh, an Inuit told me the story about uh, they had this tradition that if you were really angry, very, very angry, uh, instead of you know, uh, sitting in there or fighting or whatever, you should take a stick and walk in one direction out of the city. Um, when you eventually calm down, you should put the stick into the ground because it has measured how angry you have been by <laughs> how many meters have you walked. <laughs> it's so good. But in terms of therapy, I, it, it's, it's, I mean, uh, it can't solve anything, of course. I mean, it's, uh, it's sometimes you simply have to listen to your doctor and get the treatment, but it's... Uh, it's, uh, it, or, it's or can it solve everything? At the mm? same or can it solve everything at the same time? No, mm. You're it saying cannot. it can't solve every, it anything. It cannot. Can it not? No. But it's. But it's. But it's. Having said that, it's. 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 
walking as therapy, mental therapy, fantastic. Yeah. And, and, and I think this is coming, becoming more and more obvious. Mm -hmm. And I talked to psychiatrists, uh, psychologists, you know, quite a few now are kind of recommending people to walk. Um, uh, I remember I saw this movie with uh, Woody Allen. Um, he went as a psycho psychologist and, uh, and one of the early movies, and he got, wanted to have advice how to pick girls. And every time he got a new advice, and he tried to practice it, and of course he failed. And eventually the psycho psychologist said to him, you know, now we have tried absolutely every trick. I have learned at school, and no, nothing works. I only one advice left for you: buy yourself a red convertible, <laughs> <laughs> and that worked. But it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, no, it's um, um, uh, um, so science is supporting it, mm. but also from my own life, um, you know. But it doesn't matter how bad mood I am on, when I start on the walk. When I return from the walk, I'm in a good mood. Mm. And people say you can't walk away from problems. Of course you can walk away from problems. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, sometimes when you return back home, the problem is gone. And, uh, and other times it's still there, but mm. still had a break from the problem. And, and uh, as we briefly talked about too, uh, earlier today, it's uh, like you mentioned this trip about in New York, when I, together with this uh, urban explorer called Steve, called Steve Duncan, crossed New York City through, from northern Bronx to the Atlantic Ocean, uh, through the sewage, train, water, and subway tunnels. The tunnels are not interconnected, so you need to get above ground many, many times to change tunnels, etc. But we were sleeping on the ground and just moving through the whole city, uh, mostly underground. A fantastic trip. Uh, but one of the reasons I did this trip, and of course, you know, like, like walk through a train tunnel is, is kind of on the nice, but it's uh, to, to walk through and eventually sometimes crawl through sewage tunnels, not nice. Uh, but it's kind of interesting. And it's interesting also, you <laughs> see that uh, they use much more toilet paper in Soho than they do in Bronx. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but uh, uh, for me, it was a kind of a therapy because at the time, um, my girlfriend had uh, all these the kids with. Uh, kind of, it kind of, I started to see it was kind of the whole relationship was falling apart. And that was terrible, of course, and it doesn't happen like this. It's kind of happening over a long time, which makes it somehow even worse for everybody. Um, so I just felt for getting away and do this walk through New York. And also, you know, I felt so bad. So also kind of, it was kind of a therapy, just go into all this shit, all this mud, and just go through it because I felt like shit and I ventured through shit. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, although, you know, it's, it's, it's a strange project, uh, we had a fantastic time. And you had, you had to focus so much on what you're doing mm. and just to avoid the police because, of course, this, you want, nobody's going to give you a permit to do all these things in New York, uh, I guess nowhere. Uh, so you have to avoid the police, mm. and it's so much police in New York. At least when you're afraid of the police, you see police everywhere. Uh, so it kind of focused, and you know, it was a great trip. Uh, when I came home, 
the problems was just as big as I had been before <laughs> I left, but I had a great break. Mm. <laughs> it's powerful writing, like it's claustrophobic enough when you're reading about you in a three-foot concrete tunnel and you're thinking like you're over six foot, you're in this three-foot tunnel and then there's uh, sewage and the loo paper and all as you say up to your elbow, ankles and then you're going into a 15-inch tunnel um, and then so the reader is, but it's this visceral, the reader is like they're going through it with you, 15-inch and then it gets lower again than 15-inch and you're crawling in your belly with your... Head up. It's potent. <laughs> it's, uh, it's uh, you know, it's, it's especially that scene in Green Street in Soho, or towards Canal Street. It's, uh, we, of course, we didn't, know, we didn't know how it was going to be. So we just went through a manhole in Green Street and made headlights and started to kind of crawl, first walk like this, I said, three feet, and eventually just laying flat, crawling through. Uh, the sewage, yeah. and it's uh, and uh, we had waders at the hair, but still got soaking wet mm. all the way. Uh, but you know, it's eventually we got up and was nowhere to six o'clock in the morning, and uh, and nowhere to have a shower. Mm. Uh, so just took off the waders and uh, just did like this and uh, jumped in a taxi, went to Brooklyn, and kept on going. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a constant risk of hydrogen su uh, uh, sulfide, too, of yeah, yeah, yeah. swamp gas. So you, need to, you need to have this air meter, uh, which measures explosive gases mm. and the poisonous gases, etc. because it's, it could, it's not super dangerous, but it could be dangerous. Okay. So at some point, I should ask some questions from Thor, but just to get... So the other smaller walk, an intense walk that you write about here and that you've done and you've written about before in other journals is the Sunset Boulevard walk. And both of these walks are like uh, three or four to five day walks. And, uh, one is four and one is kind of three. Yeah. Um, but they're very intense. So as Sarah said, the underground is very intense. The Sunset Boulevard walk turned out to be very intense too. Yeah. Tell us about what that walk was. Um, that's a walk everybody can do. Uh, we, two friends and I, uh, they're very into LA culture, I'm a little bit, and we decided to take a car to the eastern part of LA, Cesar, Cesar Chavez Avenue, and walk a major part of Cesar Chavez to the eastern part, which kind of, it's not super bad, but of course, uh, lots of gangs and uh, crime going on, and then into Sunset Boulevard, and then walk all Sunset Boulevard uh, west to the ocean. And we did it four days, three nights uh, sleeping. And, and what we wanted to do was to see the city uh, from the curb of the road, uh, fr from the pavement. Because, of course, when in LA, everybody's seeing the same as we, as we were seeing, but you see it from the different angle because you're sitting inside a car and looking through a window. And that's kind of, you know, you can, I wouldn't say you can almost see, the sit, see it uh, on a video, but it's kind of seeing the city uh, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a screen. Um, so, and we decided not to, not to leave those two streets, just kind of remain on the streets for the whole thing and do as many things as possible while walking there. So for the first time in my life, I did manicure and pedicure. And, uh, and you kind of get a feeling that the whole LA is doing medicure and pedicure to each other <laughs> because so many saloons. 
And, and, and we went, we passed the Church of Scientology, which is on the lower part of Sunset, this huge blue building. I think it's like eight or 10 floors and really wide. And uh, we went in and presented ourselves and said, you know, uh, you know we um, uh, want to you know, have a dialogue with the church. And so we spent 90 minutes uh, being introduced to the church. And then we had the private interviews with this Scientologist. And we were told, don't take any photos. And of course, I just wandered off and took photos. <laughs> and what was interesting inside the church was two things. It's, uh, you have this huge building and leaves an impression that you know, they're so powerful, so rich, and so many people. But inside the church, uh, we only saw four or five people. Hmm. So the building was almost empty. Hmm. And the other thing was, of course, the conclusion was we were all totally sick but they could help us. <laughs> <laughs> they decided so, that you had deep problems. Was that deep, deep problems, problems, deep problems, deep problems. Mm. But it's, uh, no, so it's, it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's an easy trip, but super interesting trip to see LA, which is kind of based upon driving. Mm. So it's mostly insane people, junkies and prostitutes that are walking. So even in Eastern LA, we'll even stop by the police um, uh, because they were curious, they were kind of suspicious because we were walking. Mm -hmm. and, and, and we said we were from Norway, we just got doing it for curiosity, for fun. And the police officer said, okay, would like to take a photo with me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was particularly the times where there was no pavement, no sidewalk. Yeah. And the cars were speeding by despite the... Yeah, yeah, yeah because you have all this... Uh, all this, uh, especially in Beverly Hills, it was uh, um, um, a part where uh, no payments. And then you have all this, all this signs saying to armed response if you get into my property. And then you have the road. You kind of have to kind of walk. <laughs> but that's, you know, it's, 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 it's just interesting to see. And it's also interesting to see it while you move slowly because mm -hmm. you can contemplate and that time was to get with two friends we were talking about it and you know just very enjoyable and and also you get to know you know some people mm -hmm. and also you know it's um they say in la that the people have this hummers these big cars and uh, suvs etc uh, it's because they want to look down on people who are not doing as well as they are doing. Uh, but I think that's wrong. I think the, I think most people in LA, that you know, then they don't think about people who are doing less well than themselves. I think the whole idea of the whole city is to meet people who are doing better than yourself, <laughs> so they can help you to do even better in life. So it's kind of it's kind of uh, strange psychology mm. in the whole city. And is there any connection between these two four day, small four-day walks and then those 50- uh, 50 and 58-day walks to the North Pole and the South yeah. Pole? Are they a different Ireland entirely, or is there a different motivation? Or why are you doing one 20 years ago and one uh, or 30 it's, years it's, ago? Uh, um, I do it all the time. I, I, walk, I walk like, you know, it's uh, not having done since Easter, but it, um, I, do, I do walk, you know, walks quite frequently mm -hmm. and, and I you know one similarity of course is about uh, walk, uh, walking but it's uh, it's it's very much about curiosity 
and, uh, and it's about you know seeing the world. It's about trying to get to know myself, and uh, it's a it's a it's a great pleasure. And uh, the reason now um, today it could be like four or five days is because um, today I'm become too spoiled. Uh, when I was early 20s, I thought the world was like, you know, it was normal to go 50 days and freezing like hell. But today I know better. <laughs> uh, and also I have done it, so I think, you know, it's, uh, you should change. And also it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, some of it is dangerous. So it's, um, I never felt it was, you know, uh, um, um, that I have been, Super close to death, but it's when I look at my peers, you know, you know, quite a few people have died. So yeah. you know, I love life, mm -hmm. and uh, it's a season for everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Questions? Have we questions? Good. I think this volunteer is going to find you and bring a mic to you. Uh, good. Loads of questions. We just and there'll be a, a volunteer with a microphone at some point, and until they come. Oh, brilliant! Do you? I think if you shout, even the acoustics are good. Yeah. Good for you. <laughs> What do you think, Erling? Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a very I think it's a very, very relevant question. It's uh, it's uh, uh, no, I, I'm certainly not kind of anti-civilization and anti-technology, uh, etc., or anti-capitalism and anti-blah blah blah. Um, um, I really, you know, I feel super privileged that I have a job to go to in the morning, and uh, and uh, I think everybody who has opportunity should, you know, feel privileged. Um, so it's not. It's but it's. I think you know. It's every now and then. We need to. We need to um, uh, turn 180 degrees, in the sense that um, uh, we talked about early Moncon. You know, earlier on that. You know, throughout today, you have to choose between something which is difficult, little difficult to do, or something which is easy to do. And, and what's always easy to do is to uh, be on the screen and check the news three times an hour, although you know nothing has happened. Or, and and uh, I would think here in Ireland too, people are probably you know, online watching their telephone four hours every day. 
and in average, I read in the States at least, they're touching their phone 2,600 times a day. And, and, and then, you know, if you're four hours and you live until eight years old, that's 30,000 days, then it's 120,000 hours uh, doing like this. And uh, let's say 80% is, uh, is waste of time. That leaves you with 96,000 hours doing like this. So you know, that's what I'm thinking. It's like you know, people say, uh, when you're, I'm 56 years old, so I tend to go to 60th, 70th, 80th, and even 90th birthdays. And what people talk about all the time is life is short. And the thing is, life is not short. Life is long. But of course, if you do the same routines every day without having a break, life will feel really short. Mm. That's just how it is. There was a question there. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Hello. Um, a lot of what you write about seems to talk about changing your perception of time, like spending a long time in silence makes things feel slower or, or the opposite faster. And I was just wondering if, there, if there's a memory you might have from your life of the, the slowest time or the, something that, took, that felt really slow. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, maybe I was four, five, six years old. I grew up in a family without a car or nor TV. Um, and we all took the tram. And one day, I, my father was going to give away some, put some brochures into the mailboxes all, all over the neighborhood. And they were walking. And then suddenly I understood we had been walking one station, same distance as one station with a tram. And until then, I just, you know, I didn't have the feeling of space. Just went into the tram and, you know, into the city or to my grandparents, whatever. But suddenly, when I walked the same distance, I started to grasp how big the world is. So that was kind of, yeah. Uh, do you feel having headphones on, either listening to music or podcasts or something, kind of defeats the whole purpose? Uh, sometimes I listen to podcasts uh, when I walk, but or or but very seldom. Uh, but you know, it's I think you know sometimes at home, if I, if it's too much noise in my head, I can turn on the music on the high volume to just get rid of all the noise in my head. And then you know, then I can you know find some inner silence. So you know, it's so you know, it's about finding your own path. I think it's nice not listening to anything when I walk uh, because I listen to so much rest of the day. But uh, you know, some people enjoy it. But I think you know, it's I think in general, I think and disadvantage when you walk is to hold something in your hand to hold your phone in your hand. I think that's unwise. Because then we always think about, you know, and that's when I write about noise, uh, I think, you know, distractions are, you know, some of the, you know, biggest problems today. And the distractions you get from your phone because you're expecting something, you're checking your phone, you're disappointed if you don't, you know, nothing is happening on your phone. So, I've, at least to me, it's nice to just leave your phone. And you can all say, I'm too important, I'm too busy, but that's probably not true. Mm. And volunteers, so there's a microphone there. 
And, right, and the volunteers, the, you know, and there's a, one question there and then a question there afterwards. But, yeah. Hmm? You know, I try to sleep. I think ideal, I would like to sleep eight hours, but I think it's about seven, a bit more than seven hours. Yeah, in the wilderness, I sleep a lot. And it's, uh, it's of course, on an expedition, you, you have to have very fixed regimes, how much you can sleep. But uh, when I'm just, you know, in the mountains for, you know, for fun, for relaxation, I sleep a lot. And do you sleep more in the full moon or less? Ooh. You know, you have, to, you have to send me an email in a few months and I can tell you. I haven't told <laughs> Is it? Hmm? So two people have microphones there yeah. in the microphone. Thank you. I'll think about that. <laughs> uh, hello. Uh, first, thank you very much for the, all this explanation you made. Um, I wanted just to ask something. Like two years ago, I started to experience silence. Um, I wanted to go to ask you a question a little bit more deep. Is like many people, I think many of us want to be caught about many different things, technology or whatever. But sometimes it's hard because when we experience silence, is being in front of ourselves and don't having any mask, and we have like I think 80, an average of 80,000 thoughts per day. This is the normal average. Average. And could you explain maybe how hard it was to get there and just to accept, or maybe you didn't find it hard because generally when we experience that, it's like wow, I'm really alone with myself, I'm looking to, to me. And maybe that's why sometimes when people get through this experience and journey, they just let it go because it's hard when they walk or whatever they're doing. So what was your experience? It was easy or no, at the beginning it was really hard, but I just realized that it was important for me. Um, I think it's, you know, it varies, uh, but obviously, Silence is much more difficult than noise. Um, that's why we prefer noise through the day. And of course, to sit on the arse is more comfortable than walking. In one, you at least can feel that way. And uh, and um, and, but I think you know, silence is difficult, as such. And uh, and as I said, <laughs> most of the things I write is has been kind of said or written before. And, and uh, from a different angle, but Blaise Pascal, the French philosopher, in the 1640s, he famously, famously wrote that uh, the origin of all problems for humans um, are uh, the origin is that you can't sit still in a room doing nothing. And then he writes that instead of doing nothing, you do something. And that's the beginning of all the problems. <laughs> <laughs> and you know that was the 1640s, and of course in uh, 2019, it's even more true, because it, it is really hard. And also we talk about silence. It, it you had this research on people, you know, related to Pascal. Uh, 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 only a few years ago, people asked to sit in a room not doing anything, and you know, no window to look out of, nothing to read, nothing to watch, no nothing to do. And the only way to get out of the room before after 15 minutes would be that you have to push a button, which would immediately give you an electrical shock. 
and, 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 and I can't remember, but I think you know, tens of percents of the people in the research did not manage to sit there for 50 minutes. They pushed the button. And they had, they had to try beforehand to push the button, just know that it was really painful. They still pushed it. And one person ended pushing the button like this because he couldn't touch it. So silence is, is, is complicated. And also in expeditions to begin with, uh, has so much noise in the head. And also in the silence book is Marina Bromwich, a performance artist. She said that uh, her big dream in life was to get into a desert and have total silence. And eventually she got to a desert, sat down, and was really going to experience the silence, but then she had all the noise in her head. And, and it took you know, quite a while to get you know, that, all those, those thoughts, all the thinking away, and then she could you know, feel the silence. Yeah, long ones. So it should be difficult. <laughs> Hi. Um, how hard was it to climb Mount Everest? Uh, pretty hard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, the thing with Everest is that uh, because so many people have been up there, uh, it's easy to think about it as, as uh, not difficult, but it's, I think it's super difficult. That's why most people fail. Uh, I think you know, the hardest part is always to get up in the morning. It's, uh, you know, that was, uh, that's what uh, Amazon and Jacklet and Scott, they were all struggling about getting up in the morning. And that's still the challenge today in Oslo to go up to the office. But it's, uh, yeah. So I'm aware that there's a lot of questions still. So we're, I'm going to be going to brief questions and then uh, up to Arling how long you're answering. Joyce. Mm -hmm. so wait there. You're in the city of Joyce, yeah. who wrote the greatest uh, day in, of walking. And in that, the main character, Leopold Bloom, experiences thoughts, feelings, uh, observation, and he does it in this wonderful fusion. And I would have thought that that's probably what most people experience, is an amalgam of different emotions when you walk. Some observation, but also the pressing thoughts in your head, which may be slowed down a bit by the walking, but they're still there. What? I, to I, I totally agree. Uh, that book, of course, is very much about, about, uh, about uh, um, walking. But, um, and you talk about it in your book. Yeah, exactly. It's, you, know, you, should, you should Google Nabokov, the guy who wrote Dolita. He was, teaching, uh, he was teaching in the States. He was teaching uh, Ulysses in the States. And it said that it's not possible to understand the book without physically know how they walked and where they walked and what time they walked. So he made a map, so if you Google it, you'll see he made a map with arrows back and forth, how people walking back and forth in Dublin through that book. It's really interesting. So his whole idea was it's a totally different experience to read the book if you know how they walked while explaining it. But it's... Uh, but, it, uh, but uh, you're sitting next to Paul Lynch, aren't you? There's a Paul up there, isn't it? That's right. Yeah, exactly. So you should read his book, Grace. It's also about walking. <laughs> um, and you have a question up there, but then there's two questions down here. So could you bring the microphone down here afterwards? But please, you have a question up there. Hi. Um, do you have a favorite walk that you've been on? Uh, oh, right here. <laughs> oh, sorry. Uh, no. No. Uh, <laughs> no. I think, you know, if you have a pet, you have a favorite pet, 
but uh, in terms of walks and books, etc., it changes all the time. So. so there's one question here, and then we might have time for one other question at the end. One the question that we're there. We'll ask this question first. We're waiting in the new. Yeah. I just wondered after you took the very long trips, um, if you had some massive, big creative breakthrough. Ma a big creative breakthrough after uh, the long ones, the long you know, trips. You know, I, I remember. Uh, uh, you know, you are part of all that you have met. So I think that kind of grows on you what you have been doing. Uh, just after expedition, you know, it's different expeditions. I'm, you know, you're asked, you know, what did you learn? I, you know, I, I remember <laughs> I came from the south. What did you learn? I, I didn't come up with one single thing. No, I, that, that wasn't the question. Oh, okay. It was about creativity. So short walks, creativity, you know. So did you come up with some great creative idea? Yeah, did you I, start your company? I, did you... It's 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 it was very good for creativity, like walk to the South Pole. But I didn't get anything from the outside, so it's. I think you know sometimes you also need some input from the in outside to kind of develop your mind. Uh, but still, it it was it was uh, certainly very good. Uh, you know, it's in my diary. I kind of you know when I reread, kind of read it quite a few years later. I, I've you know, it, it was certainly good for creativity. But it's. But I remember when I came up with the idea about starting a book publishing business, that happened, you know, part of when I was doing the dishes at home. <laughs> because then nobody's disturbing you. Uh, and then I was just kind of thinking, and it's probably been growing on me for a long time, and then just suddenly uh, saw, you know, this could be possible to start my own publishing company. You're not going to make a career on the corporate circuit in America if you say, if you give their lectures and their CEOs a job. It's about washing dishes. <laughs> exactly. Really a great idea. So there's one final question there, yeah. Running, swimming, cycling, music, and I suppose walking. Have you anything to say about dance? They're all forms of movement. And they're all, I suppose, they're processes of... Process of of being alive in different ways and different levels of, of silence and different levels of turbulence and chaos. Have anything to say about music and dance and walking? Music, dance, walking. Yeah, it's, uh, it's you know, it's, uh, um, it's all movement, as I said, which is the important thing, but, you know, it's, 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 I don't know if I really got the question, but you know, if if I had been born in uh, India, I would probably have written a book about uh, yoga, uh, not about walking. And if I had been in uh, Buenos Aires, I would do tango, which is another way to walk. Um, but uh, for me, to walk is you know is the, is the big thing. It's you know. Yeah, I love barefoot. Yeah. Mm. There's good things in his book about barefoot walking too. As we've seen, like, so Ireland is the unique character, the combination of... Don't take it any further now, okay? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> A unique character. You should, you should come, Mount Conscious, you should come a bit to Norway. And <laughs> it is just those combinations of different things, mm. of the philosophy, of the extreme adventuring, and that sort of, that breadth of vision, that Weltanschauung. Like the best way of, of, of putting it is the way New York, um, the New York Times said he's a philosophical adventurer or perhaps an adventurous philosopher. 
So Ireland is going to be signing books outside right, right away, and if you have any more questions, do please feel free to ask them. But um, in the meantime, on behalf of the International Literature Festival Dublin, you might give uh, a sign of applause and a sign of appreciation to Ireland. Oh, yeah.